back. You're rocking straight through midnight with me, Dojo Daniel, on 96.7, The Pipe. Up next, we got a soundcheck episode all about Mac DeMarco, season 4, episode 9, coming at you, stuffing it down the chute. Once again, you're listening to 96.7, The Pipe. This is Soundcheck. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Soundcheck, the rock and roll and alternative music podcast here at Central Michigan Life. As always, we're joined by my co-host, Andrew Mullen, and our awesome podcast producer, Ben Ackley. <laughs> we to, we're speaking very slow today we are because up. we're talking about an artist that writes some slow and mid-tempo songs. Or, we are, or we've become androids. It's one of the two. Exactly. And we're joined by a very special guest today, uh, former CM Life senior reporter and now a reporter for MLive Muskegon. Yes? Yeah. Muskegon Chronicle. Hi, Muskegon guys. Muskegon Chronicle. Hey, all you cool cats and kittens out there. She, she was begging to do that for the intro. I guess it's, I guess it's better here at the very start. Um, yes, for anyone, any longtime listeners might remember, Alyssa uh, was a guest all the way back in our very first season here in Soundcheck. We talked about the Strokes. And now it's time to talk about another indie rock outfit. Um, although I don't know if the Strokes are technically indie rock. They definitely surpassed it if they, if they were at one point. But. Yeah. That new album, pretty good. But that's a conversation for another time. Yeah, today we're talking about Mac DeMarco, which is a subject we put off for a while ever since Ben got on the podcast because Ben is also a pretty big Mac DeMarco fan, as am I. And so is Melissa. The only one here that hadn't had a lot of exposure was Andrew. But you got your first taste when we did like our decade wrap-up episode when I selected an album. Yeah, you had me listen to the Salad Days. Um, yeah. Anyways, yes, continue. <laughs> so to start off our episode i'd like to ask melissa uh how when did you first hear mac demarco and what did you think of that sound when you first heard it um what what particular phase in his discography were you listening to yeah um i think i probably first was introduced to him in 2014-ish around that time that was like my sophomore year of high school so that would have aligned with the same year that he released Salad Days. Um, but I think that the first one that I found, the first album would have been two. Um, and I don't know, I was really, really intrigued by his sound because it was so different than like what I had heard before. Like at the time I was really into alternative rock, but more so bands like Interpol and The Strokes and Arctic Monkeys and Phoenix. Like, more well-produced like studio bands versus this different like really lo-fi jangly sound um it was just totally different than anything i'd ever heard and i loved it and i didn't really know what to like do with that love other than just like listen to it all the time but i didn't know anyone else that was listening to that kind of music or mac demarco um at the time he wasn't really as big as far as i knew in the indie rock world so um, I didn't really know what to do with this discovery. I was just listening to it and I loved it. Yeah. And it, that, 
that really like sparked my interest in like the lo-fi indie rock genre like it was through max and marco that i started listening to like beach fossils and like melody's echo chamber and the dum dum girls and wild nothing um a lot of which those bands are they were signed under the same track or um, record label that signed max and marco which is captured track um and so that really like pushed me into a whole new genre of music which i've been listening to to this day so it was, he's pretty symbolic for me even though i don't really listen to him as much nowadays just because i don't really like his new style of music as much but i love him yeah and we'll get to that but how long did it take you to um get acquainted with the personality behind the music because i remember when i first uh discovered mac DeMarco, it was watching a hot ones episode um, with that episode where he's got his, uh, his gray hoodie pulled behind his ears. He just <laughs> looks like this like hillbilly guy, but he's like, uh, this Canadian, like kind of stoner style personality. And like, it was actually his personality that I kind of fell in love with first. And then I went and listened to the music, which would at that time would have been salad days. Um, but what do you think of him just as a personality and this like, um, face in indie rock? Yeah, he's so, he's hilarious to watch on stage. I've only seen him once in concert, but I've watched a lot of, I love watching like his live shows. Um, specifically, I don't know if you guys know the radio station KEXP out West, oh, sure. but um, they bring on a lot of like live indie rock bands. And I've watched all of his shows, all of his appearances on the show. And one of them was like in a kind of like concert venue. And it was so much fun like he was just dancing around the stage like you could tell he was really passionate about passionate about what he was doing which I don't know if I see that as much with him anymore which would be understandable because he's probably like tired of that but I unlike you I, it was reversed for me where I was first like attracted to his music and then his personality but it's interesting because he's really developed like a cult following in the indie rock world like you see so many boys these days like dressing exactly like him, like wearing the cuffed jeans and like the sneakers with like the socks showing and then the baggy t-shirt and the flannel, much like Ben Affley. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, now that I'm oh. thinking about it. Ben, how, how did Mac DeMarco affect your life? Um, well, I got into Mac DeMarco um, the summer before my senior year of high school. And uh, he helped me the first his first album which we were going to talk about soon enough helped me through a, a bad breakup even though it's kind of a joke I, I took a lot of those songs really seriously um <clears throat> and I wouldn't say that I took a lot of fashion inspiration from him I think this is a lot more from like living in the country and having a dad who just like this is stolen from my dad's closet a lot <laughs> of my clothes are stolen from my dad's closet and wearing yeah. jeans that are too long I hope I don't dress like him. I hate, we'll, we'll talk about the cult of personality behind Mac DeMarco, which maybe I should have picked a better outfit for today, but <laughs> no, I, I guess it's appropriate though, if it matches. So yeah. Well, how are we going to start this out? Because there is a kind of a proto career that I feel like we need to touch on because this was something that Melissa brought up in our, in our group chat before the episode. And you said this was something that kind of needed to be said. Um, yeah. Uh, in regards to make-out videotape, uh, what is it that you love so much about that? All right. So for 
any listeners who maybe don't know what that is, Makeup Videotape was the band that Mac DeMarco was a part of before he started his solo career in 2012 with the release of his first album. Um, But prior to that, he was part of a band called Makeout Videotape with another indie rock artist from Montreal named Alex Calder. And for me, like the, the Mac DeMarco sound is broken up into two halves. So the first three albums is like one half, like a jangly indie rock lo-fi sound. Whereas the second half of his career with his last three albums have been like softer, more mellow, very like keyboard based sounds. But Makeout Videotape is really like, you can, you can hear the similarities between his starter band with once he went off on his solo career with his next three albums. And I'm just like obsessed with it. I, um, it's only available on like SoundCloud and YouTube. So it's kind of annoying because I have to like listen to it like on YouTube with it, YouTube pulled up on my phone versus being able to like exit out with like Spotify and things like that. But um, I just love it. It's like, it's such a cool, like psychedelic jangly sound. And for me, it's just really like, it's almost like kind of like a, a stoner sound to it, I guess, which isn't exactly me, but I still really love it. And it's, it's really good for listening to on like, a bright sunny day with like the windows rolled down and you're driving in your car. Um, so I think that listening to the makeup videotape music is really important to get to know um, Mac DeMarco's solo career because that was really what showcased first his, not only his musical talent, but also his production abilities, um, especially because with those first three albums, it kind of sounds like he produced them like in his basement. And that's exactly what makeup videotape sounds like too. too. So. Um, yeah, I really loved it. I'm you brought up fan. an interesting point about um, him recording it in his basement because not only is Mac DeMarco this face of this indie rock personality, but he's also a huge face when it comes to home recording. And yeah. I've, I've noticed, um, you know, throughout consistently throughout his career, he's taken the production and pretty much every aspect of making the music into his own hands and I listened to Makeout Videotape for the first time the other day. And, you know, the way you described um, driving out on a sunny day and listening to that kind of music is the exact same way you described Twin Peaks to me when you first got me into them. Um, That's true. Do you yeah. spot any similarities there? Yeah, I mean, I think earlier Twin Peaks, definitely. Um, I think every band in, like, the indie rock genre, they sound, they start out with, like, that same low production value sound which is something that i'm personally drawn to i like a like a scratchy record that's like they just recorded it in one take in their basement versus like the well-produced studio albums um and so i can see the similarities definitely between early twin peaks and then early max marco and both of them have sprung off into like almost different genres like twin peaks is more like almost like folksy like country style now and then you know like i said with mac he's like a lot of like keyboard based songs and I'm not interested in either of those, but definitely the earlier tracks I love. Then what, what other artists would you relate the early makeout videotape stuff to? Oh, um, well, I mean, you can really take it back to that whole like Midwest garage. Like it's not, it's not necessarily garage revival. It's like a garage punk, like push forward. So you could pick, uh, there's a band coming to mind right now that I don't want to mention um, that have some allegations against them. Uh, 
there's yeah, I, know uh, you're talking about. I know what you're talking about as well. There's, um, <laughs> this band, um, Harlem, I don't remember where they came out of, but they have a few records that sound quite a bit like that. Harlem comes to mind pretty quickly. There's, there's lots of bands that have that sound, lots of bands that made like one-off records and then people sprung off to other projects. Okay. So how much do you guys listen to like the bands like Beach Fossils or Wild Nothing? I am a beat. I was a Beach Fossils guy for a minute. And like, I was thrown into that, uh, that really reverby sounds like from dive and, uh, you know, those types of bands. And it, I don't know what it was, but it was, it was a phase for a little bit. And then I fell out of it. And now what I've noticed is, uh, you know, especially in dives case, some of those bands become more shoegaze and dream pop associated. Mm -hmm. And that's what I tend to be leaning more towards now. Mm-hmm. Um, but I can definitely see the beach fossils, uh, you know, exchanging some influences. Yeah. So moving on now, because, uh, Andrew, you didn't get a chance to listen to, uh, the early stuff, but, uh, let's, let's just move into the, the basic discography and like right. the first album starting out. Um, the first album you're going to find on Spotify, which is rock and roll nightclub. Um, and since Andrew hasn't had a chance to talk, let, why don't you start this one out with your initial impressions? Um, well, uh, yes, I, I will, I will start off with this though, because as you mentioned earlier, I am, I was not really, um, exposed to Mac to Marco before you, Michael, um, before I'd met you. I, I mean, I heard the name for a while. I remember someone mentioning Salad Days when it came out saying it was the, pretty much saying it was the greatest <laughs> thing since sliced bread. Um, and I know he has a lot of fans like that. Not saying anyone on this call is, but yeah, I, I don't know. I just never really gave him the time of day until researching for this episode and um well i'll just say this as of going going forward to the discography i will be probably a bit of a detractor here i don't know if i see the genius in this man as as you guys do not to say that i thought anything he wrote was bad i i thought overall he was fine but i didn't see anything crazy special in his discography um except maybe for this album i because I at least thought this album, it definitely piqued my interest. It definitely had a Phoenix sound to it if we're talking about Rock and Roll Nightclub, which was released in, what was it, 2010, 2011? Which year? 2012. I, I think it was 2012. Okay. Okay, well, I'm a little off then. That's my bad. March 13th, 2012. Yeah. I, I, I found this, I actually rather enjoyed this, I enjoyed this record a lot. Um, it had just a great atmosphere. I think Rock and Roll Nightclub is a, great name for this record because while it doesn't have you know not a typical nightclub with a bunch of bangers going it's more like a chill laid out nightclub and i was when i was listening to this record i was down here in in the basement um i had like this this very dim lamp on and then i had this album playing over my speakers and i was just laying on the floor just letting it wash over it was a brilliant sound for, for 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 kind of that scene it was just really cool atmosphere with it and the thing that really drew me the most was his vocals um it, it was really weird listening to mac demarco discography in chronological order because it sounds like his his voice sounds like it gets younger as it goes forward into his sound because when he starts off with this record he's in this really weird deep bassy voice it sounds like a weird cross between tom waits and elvis presley and i actually enjoyed it quite a bit um i think it gave it a really unique sound 
And and maybe you could maybe Ben Michael, you can help me kind of explain into words what he does with his guitar playing. So I noticed like a lot of pitch changes. You know, mm-hmm. when, when, he, when he does his picking, it's really interesting. I'm hoping you guys can kind of explain that to me. Yeah, I think we can talk a little bit about that. I would like to um, play a little bit from it. I think we'll play our first selection right now. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is a track from Rock and Roll Nightclub. This is called. Babies wearing blue jeans about a denim fetishist. reference to sort of just the general weird sound of this record and i'm gonna this i'm not I gonna mean, do it, it it's it's a style i was kind of referencing throughout his whole um discography but yeah i mean you definitely can hear it here as well i'm gonna i'm gonna not do it as much with the other records but with this one there's a lot to get into so i'm gonna kind of get a little technical with recording and i'm gonna do my best to to, to lay it out for the lay person so rock and roll nightclub unlike everything else Mac DeMarco has done, um, was recorded on a Tascam 244, which is a four track cassette recorder. So the cassette, the audio cassette you're picturing in your mind, it's recording music to that. And the tape on that is split up into four tracks. So that's all you get. He recorded this record like that and he could bounce it down and add like a few more tracks, but he really wasn't, he wasn't working with that much recording space. And when you're working with that, there are lots of imperfections. Uh, the tape sounds worse and worse as you record over it again, which accounts for the lo-fi sound of this. Um, things get stretched out and, uh, and that will cause wow and flutter, which can make things sound wobbly and weird, which also happens a lot on this record. And the biggest part of him using that uh, to record this is that he used a lot of pitch shifting. And he, all of these songs are slowed down. They're originally recorded, I think, like 10 or 20% faster than you hear them here. So he'd record really? them fast uh-huh, with his regular singing voice and then slow it down. So if you're hearing oh. him singing in a low voice, that's not actually him singing lower. It's oh, okay. the recording slowed down. Okay. So, um, yeah. so, Melissa, back to you. If we're transitioning now from Mac being a band and kind of going with the creative liberties of his band members, what are the differences we're going to get on this album now that he's a, a bona fide solo artist um, versus what we would get on makeup videotape? Yeah, I feel like this this record best um, shows Mac's goofiness as an artist. Like my one word description of this album would be like creepy. It has like a very <laughs> like dark sound to it, which you know I say that in the most loving sense of the word. I love everything about this album. Um, but it's not the album that I would show to someone who, like, let's say I was introducing Andrew to Max and Marco for the first time. I would not recommend for him to listen to this album. I wouldn't hmm. recommend anyone to listen to this first. I mean, this was my favorite, so you 
I mean, that's true. That's true. But, but I feel like to other people, they're going to be kind of turned off by like sure. the creepiness because like, you know, you hear the, the two radio themed songs where it's like almost like demonic and really slowed down and dark. And it just sounds kind of off. But I, again, like I said, I, I love that. And I think that that's the same guy that you see on the stage at every show is just like super goofy and weird and like trying to like wow people almost like trying to wow people with his just goofiness and I think that that's what is most on display within this record so you know speaking to him shifting from a member of a band to being his own artist I think that he was most able to display that here like his personality should we close out with one more song on this album Ben and we'll transition to our next one sure wait so wait let me ask which one are you playing I'm gonna play me and mine so the one thing that I love the most about this song, which closes out this record, is that, like I said, this record's like, it sounds very dark, but then this is such a warm and sunny song. Like like I was saying earlier about like listening to his music with the windows rolled down on a sunny day, that is this song. Like every time it's beautiful weather on campus, I play this song over and over while I'm walking like across CMU's campus. And I think it's really interesting because it's, it's a lot different than what the rest of the record has to offer in terms of it being like a very sunny and bright song, which is why I recommend it for you to play it because I love it. So awesome. I love that. All right. So this is a little bit of me and mine, sort of a transition to the next part of his discography. Now we're moving right along. This is released in the same year, 2012. Uh, this is the album where we're going to find a lot of hits, and one of my and some of my favorite songs to ever hear live. Because uh, Melissa was saying you've only seen Mac once, so have I, and we were actually at the same show. And yeah, so many of these songs are so incredibly danceable and fun. Um, yeah. I'm always going back to this record if I want to go to happy album, something to dance along, to groove to. I mean, just off the top of my head, cooking up something good, Annie, freaking out the neighborhood, um, like Stars Keep On Calling My Name, all amazing songs. And um, this, if we're going to talk about a hit record, it would be, it'd be this one. And, um, but what, what was your first reactions when you heard this one, Mel? I would say the same thing that you just said in terms of it's an album full of bangers. And I think that looking back, he really grew his fan base the most with the release of Salad Days, which is the next song or album we're about to talk about. But I think that this album is just so underrated. Like, like you said, just everything about it, like there's so many hits off of this album, especially for me personally, Ode to Viceroy. I love that song. And um, I think that this really just displayed his, his musical talents, like so many unique guitar riffs and, 
Um, the production sound gets a little bit better. It's not, it's a little bit better than was on display with rock and roll nightclub and then with makeup videotape, but he still stayed like true to that, like lo-fi indie rock sound, which I personally love. I love this album. It's probably my favorite one of all of Max. So yeah. Where does this one rank for you, Ben? And then we'll loop around to Andrew. Um, yeah, I'd say this is honestly, like I have rock and roll nightclub up there and then most of the other ones are, are kind of, they jockey for position. This one, this one I really like because you get that sort of funkiness that doesn't really ever come back. Like there may be a, there's maybe a song that I can think of later on a, his most recent album. That's a little funky, but other than that, like you get those really cool funk influences. The bass playing starts getting better. His drumming starts getting better. All the guitars are like squeaky clean, just direct in like, it really highlights his guitar playing and um, some really cool solos. We're going to talk about one of my favorite solos of his at some point during this two discussion. And, and Andrew, I was a little worried when I was going to show you this one, but I wish I would have shown you this one for the end of the decade recap, because now that I'm thinking about it, I wish I would have put this one on. But when you're hearing this guitar tone, have you ever heard anything like this before? And if not, what was your initial reaction? Uh, no, I, again, I really cut, like, if you're referring to, like, in all, like, the pitch, pitch shifts, I think that was um, definitely an interesting trick. Again, I haven't really heard anyone use like this. Someone used this, someone used that kind of stuff like this before. Um, I, I'll, I'll go to what you said, Michael, um, and, and Melissa as well. I think as much as I, I don't think this one is as interesting as Rock and Roll Nightclub. I much prefer the sound to that one. I think it just, because it just has such unique feel to it because of, Partly due to like other things that Ben described about that record, but again, I think, like Ben said, I think there's a lot of interesting, you know, song, you know, songwriting techniques that, you know, like funk, for instance, that um, Demarco uses here, and I and I really enjoy it. Um, I would put this one. I think this is probably in my in my head. It's the second best. I put this one right under Rock and Roll, which was probably my favorite again. But yeah, I, I rather enjoyed this, certainly more than Salad Days, which is uh, a, a, a spoiler once you get to that record. Um, I, and I, to be quite frank, though, this is kind of, except for maybe one more record, which we'll talk about a little later, um, I can't say that he really ever got better than this. I think this is where he kind of, this is where I jump off a little bit after this record. But no, the, 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 these, these first two albums were definitely a very strong, I think, start to his uh, discography and I think he wrote some pretty interesting stuff here some really catchy stuff I think he actually had good hooks here unlike other records going forward uh, he um, no I, I really enjoyed it the one I kind of liked a lot was uh, just, oh, what was it um, I think it was one of the singles it was something neighborhood uh, you, you yeah freaking out the neighborhood freaking out a bit thank you sorry yeah I, even though it is kind of it, I mean that's just a great um, example of immaturity at the time cause it's about the songs about the, the time and definitely one of the things that jumped out of me when I researched him when he shoved some drumsticks up to his uh, nether regions at, <laughs> at a live show. Um, there, can, you see, I, can you see yourself like dancing to one of these things while Max sticking drumsticks up his ass? I mean, I mean, dancing at a show. Yes. Um, I don't know if I would continue once they see, <laughs> Wait, see you someone guys. stick a drumstick up their ass. That's uh Speaking of ass, have you guys ever seen that episode of the Eric Andre show 
when Mac DeMarco was oh. um, a guest. <laughs> yeah, I have not attacked DeMarco. Well, let me just tell you, Andrew, that they strapped him up to a chair and <laughs> <laughs> held him at his in place and then, like, had a bare naked guy, like, sitting on his, like, hands and knees and then shoved the guy's butthole into Mac's face. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, um, yeah. I feel like this. Uh, j- just when I've, just from the bit of research I've done, that that does seem that just quintessential Mac DeMarco. Um, yeah, I mean, we were talking about uh, some Gigi Allen influences uh, uh, a little no, bit. Not me. that extreme, but like, oh, oh yeah. <laughs> well, At least in terms the of the stage. Last person cousin. anyone needs to be fucking influenced from <laughs> is fucking Gigi Allen. Before we continue some more, how about we hear a song? This is probably the classic here, uh, Ode to Viceroy. Let's play a tune. Which is about cigarettes. Of course. Oh, yes, because that's a bold move to write about in the year 2012. (laughs) Bold move. Not wrong. (laughs) Viceroy. brings a smile to my face it's so good all right it's that it's that tone i think it's that squeaky guitar tone that really gets me and like it's it's something that i aside from two and maybe a little bit of salad days i i can't find that in like any other artist i listen to and it's just it's one of those tunes that just makes you want to like like you said mel like drive around on a summer day like i can't really imagine anything else it's Yeah. yeah it's um that is a, it's a really interesting sound and it's also interesting by way of how easy it is to get. That's a, basically how you get that sound is you take whatever you're recording and you just plug your guitar into it. That's it. There's no miking of anything. He's just running his guitar into the board. And speaking of guitars, really weak transition, but I do want to highlight one more song from two. Um, this is Robson Girl, which is one that really doesn't get talked about that much. And I think that at first blush, it's not a super, like, it doesn't grab you right away until you get to the guitar solo, which comes absolutely out of nowhere in the middle of the song and is easily um, one of my favorite guitar solos of his. So I'm just going to play a little bit of that.
That's all you need to hear. Fantastic. I love it. Yeah. Go ahead, Andrew. Yeah, I was, well, was going to say, um, as much as I'm going to get a little harsher on your boy going forward here, um, I think he's a great guitar player. I don't think we really – I'm glad you brought that up, Banks. I don't think we brought it up. I really liked his picking throughout, especially these early records here of his. I think, I think it was re- those were really fun to listen to. However, for, if I can jump back to Odevice Roy real quick, um, and this is kind of where I – hearing that, and again, I really like the song. I remember enjoying it when I first heard it. Uh, again, like that really, as you said, Michael, that really squeaky guitar tone and that just Larry, even though it's lo-fi, it still feels very lush and how like up, like how bright it is. I, 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 I having listened to it just there, I, I just kind of reminds me, oh yeah, that's pretty much what we're getting for the next two or three records here. Um, <laughs> that's pretty much the, all the songs that I'm hearing going forward. And this is kind of, I'll talk a little bit more on Saturday, but that's kind of where I, that's kind of where I start to lose. He starts to lose me a bit, but um, yeah, I just well, wanted to bring that up real quick. Well, but. no, that's that's a good transition into Salad Days because, like you, Andrew, I've heard that opinion from other people where after two, um, maybe there's something that's missing. They feel like there's something missing. Maybe it's that a little more lo-fi aesthetic. Maybe it's a that that comedy that's starting to fade away. But Melissa, as a as a aficionado in Mac DeMarco. Do you think that Salad Days loses something? Do you feel like there's a dropping off point? I, for one, don't really see it, but maybe you have a different opinion. Yeah, I I don't see that as well. Um, I would say after Salad Days, for sure. Um, and, you know, Andrew, I'm as much as I am a fan of him, I'm really critical of his, you know, most recent three albums. But we'll get into that later. But I think that the sound of Salad Days is also really unique. And even though it's not... Um, the same is two in rock and roll nightclub. It's, it's, I love it. And when you listen to a song like chamber of reflection, it's like you said, Michael before, where there's literally nothing else on the market like it. Like I, I don't hear any other artists making music like that. And it's, it's just so good. And then salad days is like really, really overplayed. I'm, I'm not really a big fan of it, but blue boy is fantastic. And then I love listening to go easy as well. Those are like the three songs that I play for people when I'm first introducing them to Mac DeMarco, because it's not as like rough around the edges as some of the earlier music that it, it takes knowing him to love it. Mm-hmm. But um, it's, it's just like really easygoing music that it's easy to love, you know? And I think with this album, this is where he picked up his, massive fan base which has turned into a kind of weird cult following but um it's because it's a good record you know i can't dismiss it easily as i do with some of his most recent albums all right before we get into anything more you mentioned blue boy so let's hear a little bit of
I mean, say what you will about maybe the guitar getting a little more pristine on this record, but for me, all across the board, the bass is amazing on Salad Days, without a doubt. You can hear it under there, and he brings it up so loud, that bass. And I, and I honestly cannot get enough of it. But uh, Ben, what, what was your reactions when it comes to Salad Days? Well, um, <clears throat> I'd say that that was probably the first... That, that's the, I know this, the first one I had on vinyl was, was that one, which means it's the one I played to death and the one I can't really listen to anymore. Yeah. But you mentioned the bass playing. And like something on something like that, on something like uh, Goodbye Weekend, I don't know what happened between two and this, but his bass playing is off the charts. His drumming also, he's really fallen into the pocket on this record that you're going to hear him drumming in like throughout his career up to now, where lots of roles in place of, of heavy fills or anything like that, and a lot more a lot lighter drumming like the the first two records he was he was focusing a lot more on toms and and a lot of heavier sounding drumming and it really lightens up on this album mm -hmm. just a great rhythm section in general and he's starting to slow down you can feel him starting to mellow out a little bit but you really don't get that until the next record um his songwriting has gotten better uh i think this is this is the album that solidifies sort of the sound of Mac DeMarco. Like when people think of Mac DeMarco, this is the sound. Right. And I think at the end of the day, some things are lost from the transition from two to salad days. Like we were saying more over aesthetically and maybe production wise, but there's also some things gained, like we're talking about bass and drumming and better songwriting. Um, so I really can't, I really can't see a downward progression but i can't really see an upward progression either it's really just a straight line in terms of quality um and i feel like uh the the opinion is consistent there except for andrew so is there anything else you'd like to add andrew uh yes um i do so i know we talked about this a little bit when uh we did our end of the decade list um and i, I feel like my opinion really hasn't changed on this um i know may, may, maybe you and I'm not blaming you, Michael. Maybe you overhyped this one a little bit for me because when you initially brought this to me, you were like, basically, you described this as one of the most influential records from the last mm -hmm. decade, which... Um, I stand is, by it. And, hey, if a lot of people were influenced by this, hey, that's, that's facts of facts, I, that, that's fine. But I, I question how and why that is because, I don't know, to me, this is... And I kind of described it then. This is like indie rock bass. This is like plain vanilla yogurt. It's perfectly fine the way it is. But it's just used to go like the pieces of this is used to go off and make more interesting and uh, unique unique sounds with other bands going forward. I, I guess that's the way I would describe this record to me. Like I, I wouldn't agree with you to say there's something necessarily lost here, Michael. I, I mean, it's just it does sound like a natural continuation up to. Mm -hmm. But my issue with this is, and you know, we, we were just listening to Blue Boy, and we we and I was talking about oh to Ode to Viceroy um, in the previous record, there's only so many songs of these. I don't know, maybe it's just me, but there's only so many songs where I hear this very slow, lush, bright guitar, pitch changing, you know, guitars he's using. And I feel like, again, going kind of on to from here and even going a little bit onto the next two, two records we're going to talk about. I feel like I keep hearing the same songs over and over again. And I know that's rich coming from the fucking punk rocker here. <laughs> I, I should be the last person to complain about repetition, but I don't know. It's just something I couldn't get past. A lot of these songs just blend together for me. 
and not to say that being the, the worst stuff I really liked, I really liked uh, passing out the pieces, which I know we're going to be playing next year. Um, but was was it Tunnel Reflection? Was that the one that... Chamber of Reflection. Chamber, I'm Chamber sorry. of Reflection. I promise I did my research. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I no, I, I really... I, a lot of the singles on here I thought were really good. And again, not to say that I thought everything was bad here, but again, everything just kind of runs together here. It's just nothing... Nothing about this record really stands out to me. And again, if a lot of people enjoy it, maybe I'm just missing something. But. Well, I can't really stand by that when we're talking about Chamber of Reflection because maybe I can see where you're going to see some differences in like Blue Boy and Brother and, uh, you know, Passing Out Pieces or something like that, But which we're going to hear in a second. But Chamber of Reflection stands out as this synthy, beautiful composition. And maybe Melissa can back me up on this as it being a prelude to what's to come. Um, yeah, that's a, I guess that's an interesting point that I hadn't thought of before, but I think if this is the transition to what's become, this was the height and then it was only downhill from there. Mm -hmm. um, I think Chamber of Reflection is like one of the most gorgeous songs he's ever made. And while you can see some of the similarities between that and his later music, um, I don't know. There's just something about it. It doesn't really hit that like mellowness of his later albums, like mm -hmm. the softness. And I think he said before in an interview that like, as his albums progressed, they got softer and softer, but Chamber of Reflections isn't soft to me. It's just like, I don't know. There's just something about it. It's got its own vibe, you know, mm -hmm. it's a vibe. I got you. I, and and I, I'm not going to disagree with you guys there. I think Chamber of Reflection is a great song. This record does have its standout moments, like that one. And I think uh, Ben's about to play this here in a second. Uh, passing Out Pieces. Again, I think that I love the heavy horns that song brings. It, it, again, it, it helps that the synths on Chamber of Reflections, the horns on Passing Out Pieces, does help it stand out from a record that, to me, again, is fine, but overall just kind of runs together. That's my critique of that, so... Any additional thoughts from the Ben category before we hear this song and move on? Uh, no, I'd just like to point out before we play this, this is where you see the use of synthesizers start in his music, and that's going to continue on. Um, but here it's really, <clears throat> I, I want to say it's really abrupt. Like you're listening to a rock album, and all of a sudden it's Chamber of Reflection, or all of a sudden it's Passing Out Pieces, and it just kind of blows you like out of the water. Like it fits into the record, but it is... A, an entirely different sound and we're going to play one of those more synth heavy songs uh passing out pieces <laughs> So we're just going to move straight along into the next album. We're going to 2015 now with the release of another one. 
And this is, we're kind of entering a stage in Mac's career, which has another pretty important element to it. We saw this on two and we also saw it on Salad Days, but we're seeing the entrance of the demo album. And usually when you see an artist release a demo um, collection with every album, you think, oh, is there some level of pretentiousness coming there? But I think in terms of Mac DeMarco's case, that's pretty important. Um, but back to the bass album, this is a huge turn um, from what we're hearing on Two and Salad Days. The guitar is um, starting to fade away. Um, we're watching him fade away, if you will. And uh, some people think that's a good thing. Some people think that's a bad thing. Um, I think the majority of the opinions in this group is that it's not the best. Um, so right away, let's turn to Melissa. What did you think when you first heard another one, this really synth-heavy album? Yeah, I, I wasn't impressed. And it's at this point in the podcast that I get a little bit more critical of Max America, who at the end of the day, I still love. But um, it was just so, like, bland to me. I, I wasn't really, I'm not really drawn to, like, the, the keyboard-heavy music. I, I love, like, good indie rock, which at its core is guitar-based. And so when he loses that, I, I'm just not as attracted to it. And it's, this is more of like a, this and the next one, um, very like the, the, the meaning of the lyrics, I feel like are really revolved around like love and heartbreak and things like that, which I feel like I can relate to the lyrics a little bit more in this album, just because he's like talking a lot more about like relationships and things like that. Um, I love A Heart Like Hers on this album. But other than that, it, it was just way too like mellow and soft for me. And I don't know, I, I, I wasn't impressed. And it's a really short album. There's not a lot to offer on it. Yeah, it um, is basically an EP. I think it's technically yeah. a mini LP, just like Rock and Roll Nightclub is. Okay. And it's well, interesting how at the end of this album, he like puts his address out there. And <laughs> yeah. I think, I think, this, I think this for Mac is when he like, I don't know if he just didn't know like how big his fan base was at this point. And he, he was, was talking about in interviews about how he, he literally had hundreds of kids showing up to his doorstep almost every single day. And, you know, that's not something that you want as someone like Mac, who's like not really drawn to fame. I don't think, I don't think that he like seeks out fame. He really just seeks to make music. Right. Um, and so I think this was the point where afterwards he probably realized that he was a lot bigger. And that's when he went on to like start selling out concerts and playing at big festivals and things like that. But definitely sparked a, a change for him. Well, I think it's interesting to point out, maybe Ben can back me up on this one, that this is also a time where Mac himself is experiencing some changes in his life. He's out of Canada now and officially kind of this entity in the United States. He's now moved into New York. Um, and we can get, like you said, we'll get his address at the end of the record. And, um, Ben, do you feel like there's a sense of, uh, pretentiousness in his music that starts now? Um, now that there's this evolution in his, not only his personal career, but also in his musical career. I don't know. I don't know if I'd say pretentiousness as much as lack of, I, I feel like this is the point at which um, he sort of just starts making music for himself entirely. Okay. 
I agree with like, that. Like he just says, I've done, I've done what I, I wanted to do. I got my fan base. Like I can kind of just do what I want now. Right. And that, that's where I feel that's, that's where I'm getting uh, the keyboards. So Mac's favorite artist is uh, an artist named Harumi Hosono, who's, he's Japanese. He was in the Yellow Magic Orchestra, really big solo artist and a really big, really big in the movement of synthesizers in the start of the eighties. And what I think this is kind of his movement into synthesizers is just him wanting to make music that sounds like that. So I think it's really just him like taking all the borders away and just saying, I'm just going to make whatever I want to make. And if anyone else likes it, that's cool. If no one likes it, that's cool too. And that attitude really follows through in the next records. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm ready to hear some Andrew anger, but first I want to hear something from this album. Okay. So we're going to play a little bit of Melissa's favorite, uh, a heart like hers. Okay, so here are my two so I don't even have a lot to say honestly about this record because I found this EP, mini album, whatever you want to call it, pretty much pointless. I didn't see any real need for it to exist. Um, all these songs sound like Salad Day leftovers, um, and it's just really more of the same there. Um, apart from the song that you just played and... Um, I think no other heart. I I, I kind of like those. So those were okay, but I mean nothing stuck out to me about this record. I mean even the change to synths from Guitar. Honestly, I don't think that made any difference. I it just it's the same kind of pitch shift, kind of wall of ish sound coming from Mac DeMarco. By by the time we got to like without me, I'm like, I remember like just thinking, dude, I've heard this song like 15 times already. I I, I need something different. I think. The whole like, you know, pitch shift, kind of very bright wall of soundish that he was doing on um, you know from from Saladeus and kind of on the second record. I think he had by by that point it, he he kind of beaten it to death. And I'm like, you you need to do something different here because I was as much as I liked it at first. By by this point, I was pretty tired of it. So and I got to ask you this then, just to clarify that like because you are in support of synths in some way. What is your ideal synth heavy album? 
if you were well, to like it, it, it's not what well, that wasn't even the synths i had the problem with it's just they didn't really it didn't change anything it just sounded like the same thing except it, it was just the synths didn't really sound that different from the guitars on on salad days he didn't do anything it was the still same kind of riffs it's the same kind of pitch shift stuff and it, it wasn't the synths itself that i had a problem with the fact that it didn't really change anything honestly yeah. the only the only thing that i enjoyed about this album was the fact that it was 23 minutes that it was mercifully <laughs> short Jeez. if it was any longer than that i would have had a much more negative reaction to this other than that yeah i didn't really see much of a need for this existing it just sounded like oh i have some leftover songs from salad days i'm just gonna fart them out right here yeah. um <laughs> yeah and the sense because I, I like this use of sense on chamber of reflection but i didn't get that same kind of magic on this on the cp so yeah um yeah i don't really don't have much else to say well, I can I can probably speak for many people, and maybe Mel can back me up on this. Is that we're seeing the complete absence of um, that original lo-fi aesthetic, um, kind of plugging into the the computer, as Ben put it, and just kind of recording. Um, we're getting it more pristine and almost really squeaky clean in terms of production, which is why I think a conversation needs to be had about the demo album which I think is eons better than the actual album. Um, would you agree with me, Melissa? 100%. And I feel that way about all of his demo albums, which I think he's done for almost all of them, at least except for the, um, the newest one. Well, those are but coming out in I, June. Oh, cool. Well, I look forward to that. <laughs> Maybe no. I'll actually like this new album then. Um, but yeah, I, I love the sound of the demos because like you said, it really does get back to that like lo-fi, um, like low production value sound, but like to that or with that, like it sounds a lot more real to me, I think, than like you said, the squeaky clean, like high production value song. Sure. Um, if we can, Ben, I'd like to play a cut from the demo album that got released right after this and i believe mac does record store day deals with all of the demo albums right in the consecutive year so yeah. i find that to be a pretty cool factoid as well but this is my favorite song off of the the demo album called rick's new haircut number two yes yeah <laughs> We are getting the um, the synths, you know, we're not getting our guitar back. However, um, the guitar is sprinkled in on that album. And I think that's a good example of Mac using the catchy songwriting that we got on Salad Days and 2, but we didn't get on another one. You know, those synths are really catchy. They're really, they ring. So it's weird, but it kind of sticks in your head like uh, like phone ringtone would. And that's not necessarily a bad thing in my eyes. Um, as far as the demo album goes, uh, Ben and Melissa, what did you guys think? I honestly haven't looked that deeply into the demos albums. Like it would be something where I think I own all of them digitally at least, like I've bought them. But mm -hmm. I, would, I would sort of pick tracks out, specifically tracks like this that were not represented on the album itself. But I do really like a lot of the 
I like a lot of the demos from this one, and I found that the instrumentals that Mac does and puts out on his demo albums are really useful for soundtracking um, videos. Mm. I've used them for video soundtracks a lot, albeit illegally, but um, no one cares about my 300 view YouTube video. So right. they're really, they are really, uh, it's really catchy stuff most of the time. And you can kind of hear like that's Rick's new haircut, both versions of that song. It's got kind of like a Jerry paper influence. I don't know if any of you guys know Jerry paper, but it sounds a lot like his music. So I think in, in a lot of the demos, he sort of bears his uh, influences on his sleeve a little more too. And that's interesting to hear. Yeah. So I would recommend if you're having a reaction kind of like Andrew is where um, there's something lost from the, from this album in this era of Mac DeMarco, uh, maybe give the demo albums a try because you might be missing something and you might be able to at least pick up on something from that point of Mac's musical career. Um, speaking of which, so ahead, uh, first of all, uh, yeah, I think you're misrepresenting my point when I was talking about this record. Um, I wasn't saying there's anything lost. It was just the fact that it kept, kept having the same repetitive sound over and over. That was my issue. So I want to make sure you understood my position. Okay. But, but I feel I, like I can relate to that thing, like that it does feel like um, his like goofiness and his humor is lost in this album. So I would echo although, your sentiment. Although, to, uh, to, well, well, to your point, Melissa, I, I, I don't, granted, I'm not, I'm not a huge fan of, I'm not too familiar with him. I'm not like a crazy fan like you guys are. But to me, like if, if he is losing some of that goofiness, I, I, I would tend to this view that's kind of a good thing. So at least this shows some form of maturity, some form of progression some form of a um you, you know musical evolution and i think we did get that you know going forward we we'll talk about the last record we'll look at that later but i don't necessarily well, no. view that as a bad thing in fact that that's in and you know forward into these next two records we're finally getting some of this some something different something you know something sounds like he's evolving you know into a new sound into to a new thing which is what i was desperately wanting after coming off from another one but um well you're setting think, up a, you're setting up a good transition here yeah. um because this next record is regarded as max maturity album um i was hearing tons of reviews like that when this old dog came out i mean lyrically is the big change in this one and mm -hmm. sonically with the introduction yeah. of so many acoustic guitars and different acoustic elements um, especially in, in, in drumming too. Um, and also lyrically, we're getting into some heavier topics when Max talking about, uh, his father and his, uh, family unit and, uh, his life growing up. I think we're seeing him open up a lot more. And I was actually really, really drawn to this old dog when it first came out. This was like the era where I discovered Mac DeMarco and I was there when this album got released. I remember really liking it initially. Um, is M Melissa, is this still an album that kind of uh, you look past or do you see something in it? Yeah. Um, so definitely this album does show a lot of maturity lyrically. Um, and I think that even though I don't, I, I wasn't a fan of the sound of the album. I'll always stay true to the fact that like my favorite sound was his earliest music, but in terms of the lyrics, like, I can remember very, very vividly when this album came out, um, as opposed to, like, any of his other albums. Like, 
I remember it was the end of my freshman year of college and like I was still in the dorms I was packing up and at that point a lot of people had moved out and like I my my very first college boyfriend and I were like really sad because we were gonna have to do long distance and we we're gonna miss one another and I remember very vividly like listening to this album over and over when it came out and like relating to it not that I can relate to you know my father uh, being diagnosed with cancer as with Max and Marco here but um, lyrically it was like very very intimate and like sentimental and um, this album more than any of the others really gives you a glimpse into like Max's true heart and like what he's really feeling not just like that silly goofball who will like you know moon everyone on stage um, so it definitely does show a lot of progression for Max Marco even if like Sonically, I don't really love the album, but there are two songs in particular, which are Moonlight on the River and uh, Still Beating, that I think are one of like, the most gorgeous songs that he's ever made. Um, they're just like full of heartbreak, and I, I still listen to them from time to time, and it like, gives me all the yeah. So I can respect that aspect of the album, for sure. I remember Ben and I were talking about a video of like kind of like one of those live videos um, where he's walking through Paris just with like a uh, like an acoustic guitar strapped around him with his sweater and he's playing the title track and still beating with all this like city ambience going on in the background and it's like one of the most beautiful performances I've ever heard um, so what is that um, you know you saw that performance Ben and you listened to this album um, what do you think of the album as a whole I um I really enjoy the sound. I like when he mixes the sort of like uh, the drum machines with the acoustic guitars. I think that's interesting because he's he's going with pretty organic sounding like ace rhythm tone kind of drum machines. And I really like the lyrical honesty. And I I think um, I'm gonna play a little bit of a song here. I I've said on this episode probably multiple times that multiple Mac DeMarco songs are my favorite. But as far as like uh, a song of his that's made me feel something, the album closer for this old dog, watching him fade away, which is about Mac watching his dad literally uh, fade away, pass away. Although he did not actually, he survived. But um, and and that complex relationship, that song is super um, heartbreaking to me, and and really, really, just really solid. So I'm gonna play a little bit of that. Haven't got the guts to call him up Walk around as if you never cared In the first place But if you never call you'll end up stuck Without another chance to tell him off Right to his face And even though barely know each other it still hurts watching him fade away watching him fade away watching him fade away I think we're getting from that one that kind of shows that our, our synth phase is not completely lost. Um, but it, it's a different approach on how minimalist it is 
especially mm-hmm. in that song. And I like that sparingly. I like a minimalist synth take that appears on this album a couple of times. Um, I think on the level, um, brought, like widens it up a little bit, which you'll hear in a second. But um, I don't know. I, I find myself drawn to the acoustic tracks, but th- that was just me initially. Um, Andrew, what did you think of this one? It, it, is the addition of acoustic guitars doing anything for you? Yes, it is very helpful because it was something different. I, I, I felt like, again, like, like before we started talking about this record, that um, this, this definitely, this is a, a nice transition starting to, it's definitely starting a good transition for him, I think. I think he's trying to start something new. I'm still hearing those same kind of like those, those tracks uh, on this record sometimes where it's like the same stuff I'm hearing on Style Days. And while it annoys me a little bit, it, not as much as the previous one, because again, at least it's mixed in with a lot of different things that he's trying. And, and yeah, I think the addition of acoustic guitars is really nice. Um, I think... I think that was a really smart decision for him. And again, it does kind of branch himself away into trying new things. Um, again, lyrically also, I think this is the first one that has kind of grabbed me. You know, the, the one band just played, I think that was a really strong example of that. I also really liked, um, oh, I haven't liked over here. I'm still trying to remember these titles. Uh, I really li- I really liked um, the, the title track as well. One Another was still a good one, still beating. There, were, there, are, some, there are some strong tracks on here. Um, However, I still don't think he's fully. Um, I mean, this is this is a transition album. He hasn't fully embraced these acoustic sounds. He's still trying to write the same kind of songs he was before. He still has some of that immaturity, and um, particularly with the, with the title, not the title track, the first song in this record, um, "My Old Man." That that one did make me cringe a little bit because basically it's the whole the lyrical trope is the whole, you know, it's the same trope of, "Oh, I'm becoming my." dad it's like oh christ i think you know, it worked i think those work in the context of this album though because and then, before you go I, I i know what you're gonna say is like well yeah. that was about him like fearing to become like you know like his because you talk about his dad who's kind of a drug and alcohol abuser and i i, I get the sentiment i i can see why that wouldn't be as immature as it could be but i mean i don't know it's just that that whole trope the way he kind of delivered it still made me go okay dude i mean like and I know you guys, I know all three of you kind of like, like them less and less every day, but Weezer did it better like 20 years ago and they didn't need to resort to, I'm becoming my dad. They sang about that same topic on Say It Ain't So and they did it better than Mac DeMarco. I'm not saying you shouldn't do it, of course, if this was a good way to help him cope with things, a way to help him get out of his feelings. Yeah, you I'm can't worse. really compare anything to Say It Ain't So. <laughs> that's also fair. It's really hard. That's a, that's a classic. classic. But no. It is, but even that, even even that being said, I still like the attempt there, and I think it still does a good job lyrically on this other stuff. I don't think this this isn't an amazing record to me. I don't see myself really wanting to revisit it, but I think this is a good transition to what we'll be talking about next. Right. You you mentioned there was like one or two albums that you found yourself particularly gravitating towards. Was that just the early stuff? Do you see anything before we even continue to the next record, Andrew? I just want to get a precursor of your thought. Is there anything in the later stuff that grabbed you? Just, just, just wait to the last record, then we'll talk. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. I, with that, I think I want to play some more music um, with On the Level here. Or, yeah, that's our next one. Yep. I'm, I'm in this. But, uh, yeah, Ben, why don't you give that one a play? On the Level 
ready to move on and tear it. Rip this last <laughs> one a new one. <laughs> well, this one, this one is going to be definitely be interesting because <laughs> there, there is a lot of mixed opinions. But um, I think the general consensus, at least in this chat, um, we don't know what Andrew's thinking. But it, if I'm speaking for Ben, Melissa, and I, this old cow or not this old cowboy. <laughs> um, here comes the cowboy. The two records there. Yeah, right. Uh, here comes the cowboy. Kind of, it's it's not good. Um, but I I gotta back it up for a second and say these songs are fantastic live. Um, when that's true. That's true. <laughs> when Melissa and I saw uh, Mac in Detroit this past year, holy shit, Choo Choo. That was, that was like fun. the best song in the set. That was fun, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I remember hearing, uh, was it Nobody? Was that the first track, the first teaser track released? Yep. I remember hearing that and thinking like, it, is it bad that I don't like this? Like, am I supposed to like this? I, don't, I didn't know what I was supposed to feel because I was so into Mac DeMarco at the time. I felt like I was supposed to like it, but I was like, where is this coming from? You know? Can, can you I guys feel exactly that? the same as that in terms of like I felt like almost a sense of like embarrassment and like just disappointment because I was like I love this man and I've like poured my heart and soul into loving his music and like trying to get other people to listen to his music and when like we knew that an album was coming and a single was coming I was like oh yes everyone like Mac DeMarco he is back let's go and then wasn't that the same song where there was this weird, like he was wearing a lizard mask and yes, for the yeah, music, video. The whole music like, video. I, I watched that and I was like, what the hell? Like, who is this? Like, it was so weird and I hated it. It, it was just, it was really disappointing, really disappointing and ridiculous. <laughs> hmm. Hmm. Let me say how I felt. So I, this single dropped when I was on spring break and I was at my grandparents' house in Florida. Um, and I heard it and I said, what? Nothing's happening. What's going on? I saw the video and I said, this is great. I love this makeup. That's really good. Like really good job. Whoever did that. But I heard it and I was like, what is going on? Nothing's going on. And then I just kept listening to it over and over and over again. Like, it, it was stuck. I listened to it and it was stuck in my head for the rest of the day. There's something you, you spoke for me and you might've spoke for me too soon, Michael, cause I, I don't want to be the Mac DeMarco apologist. And I don't think I'm going to be with this record because I will acknowledge that it's weak, but I do have a theory about it. Um, and, and I do think that there are some redeeming qualities to it. Well, so what's your theory? Well, let's play a little bit of Nobody and then I'll get into it. For the creature On television There's no turning back To nobody There's no Second chance No third degree I'm 
Okay, so we just heard nobody. Let's hear your theory then. All right. So I kind of have, I mean, I have one theory that is kind of just illogical and probably not the truth. And then I have one that is just a part of my philosophy. So I'll, I'll go into the, the big conspiracy. So in 1969 um, and <laughs> in 1970, Bob Dylan released an album. The moon landing was fake. <laughs> Bob, <laughs> Bob, Bob Dylan released an album called Self-Portrait. It's a double oh, album. God. It's a double album that's full of like country song covers. And it's, it's an almost entirely covers. And he has a few like original instrumentals and that's it. And it alienated his entire fan base, which were already kind of alienated because he had already made a country album before that. And I think you can hear in the lyrics to nobody that Mac DeMarco is kind of over being famous right around this time. I think he deleted his social media as well. So there is a, albeit small, there is a possibility that this album is just like, go away. I don't want you people here anymore. And I kind of, in relation to that, I think of, there's a, another live performance where he tries to play, it's, I think it's in London, he tries to play watching him fade away live and people are just screaming throughout the entire thing. Oh. So I think that, that what this could be, and I grant you that it is unlikely, but what this album could be is that it was done over like, I think it was recorded in total over like three days. It's just him. It's, it's entirely solo, and I think there's, like, maybe one guy played a little synth on it. But other than that, it's, it's just him in his garage in, like, three days recording it, which is definitely his fastest time to, to put any album together. So I think that there's a possibility that this could have just been him saying, I'm done with this, I'm going to do whatever I want, and I want to kind of purge my more annoying fans like he wants to kind of i don't know if he wants to test who's true to him or if it's just he just slapped an album together and put it out which is probably that one but there's a possibility that that it was deeper than that i think now do you support an artist pulling a move like that because i don't know if i can get behind that um i mean bob dylan's my favorite musician <laughs> so yeah i feel like, like it's a waste of his own time and money but other than that i don't really care and ben i can really get behind that theory i would agree with that wholeheartedly because you can tell like mac wasn't he wasn't seeking the fame he was just looking to make some music and let other people enjoy it as well and he's developed such a like obnoxious cult following i mean his fan base of like hipsters is like I hate them. I hate listening to the same music as them. But so he's probably sick of those people. And, um, you know, when it comes to like, whether or not we respect him doing that, like, at the end of the day, I'll just wait for him to put out a new record. And if it's better, cool. I think it is a unique case for Mac, considering we can all picture the ideal Mac DeMarco fan, what they're wearing, how they act, how they talk. And it, it has kind of built like a, a subculture and not one that's particularly liked mm-hmm. um, by society. So, you know, yeah, I can get back can- behind that theory, too. But I, I don't know if I can get behind an artist pulling a move like that as, as just. I, for me, um, when, it, when it comes to a band, it's a, it's, that would be weirder. But for me... Um, when it comes to a solo artist, it's a person and they're just trying to 
live their lives and if they want to do something that might get some of the more annoying people out of their lives, um, go for it, man. I mean, yeah, the, I, I'm kind of where Melissa's at. Like, make another record. If it sounds like this again, I might be out. Like, I might just kind of be slow to come to the next one or not really listen to the next one. Like, uh, I don't know. If it's something like that, I I think that, yeah, that's up to him. He went out on his own for this record as well. He he started his own label, which is a, this is a weird way to start it off. Um, but when it comes to the music, getting beyond my half-baked uh, crackpot theory, um, when it comes to the music, I heard this over spring break. It kind of ushered in summer, this album. And to me, I like an album that was all recorded almost at once. Like Neil Young's Tonight, the Tonight's the Night was recorded in one night. One night with like maybe one song that wasn't recorded that night thrown on there. So I like, I like the idea of this album in concept. Like I like that it's a picture of just a little window in time and he talks in the liner notes, um, the digital liner notes about like, oh, it was raining and, and you can, if you listen closely, you can hear the rain tapping off the, the windows of the garage and stuff like that. And I kind of like that sort of theater of the mind, I guess, that sort of I thing. I mean, that's basically how Joe and Bias's first album, All the Way Back in 1960, was recorded. They recorded over that over like two, day, two nights mm-hmm. in some like crappy, like empty motel or something. And it's just her and a guitar. I, I definitely get what you mean by that aesthetic. Right. Yeah. And it's like, uh, I don't know if that's necessarily defense of the music, but at least in concept, I like that idea of the album. I like that the cover is just like a picture of a, a button. And the it's back is just a, Where, a where's picture. Where's your button then? You were wearing it yesterday. Oh, it's, it's, it's right here. I didn't want to put a hole in this shirt. This is his, the logo for his record label, which is based off the button. I also like that the back cover is just the back of the button. And there's also a hair in the picture. It looks like it's attached to the record, so you can't like you can't get rid of it. It's horrible. It's super mean. That, that's <laughs> it enough, seems that's really like last minute put together. Like not right. a lot of thought went into that, right? Yeah, I mean, especially compared to his other releases, where you have like what there was like a year between another one and this old dog, like, and and another one's an EP that was that was done in three weeks. So, like, it, it's not like he's someone to rush out music, except for in this case. Andrew, you're the only one that hasn't spoken yet. Yeah, because for once I actually wanted to shut up and just hear what all you guys have to say. <laughs> so my thoughts on this album. Quite honestly, it's an amazing what an outsider's perspective might be because, and this is apparently going to be a very unpopular opinion, not only do I think this is one of his better albums, I think this is better than Salad Days. Really? Andrew! Hell yeah! Explain yourself. Like <laughs> um, Right under the... And right under, like, the first two as far as quality. And to me, this, this one interested, more, interested me more than the second record now that I go back and listen to it. I actually really like the song that Ben just played. Nobody. I genuinely did. Um, <laughs> Agreed. Maybe it's, just, maybe it's just my demeanor. But honestly, I, this, I mean, like, and maybe because I was just getting really sick and tired of the sound that he's providing. When it got to this, this, seemed, this felt like a breath, a breath of fresh air, even though it is a very depressing sounding album. I actually do kind of am interested by your theory that this is essentially him telling the world to fuck off, Ben, because... Like, Andrew, it, it is, would you it, respect him more if he did do that? Um, 
I, I don't know. I mean, Grant, maybe so, because again, I wasn't really into him. So it's like, I'm not, it's not like I would be personally offended by it. Right. But I, I do like the theory because this is obviously a much bleaker sounding record, much kind of more depressing sounding record than, than anything he had released previously. And it's much more sparse as well. I mean, there's, there, there, there's not as much heavy instrumentation. There's not a lot of layering. There's not a lot of um, just really washed out, you know, synths going on here. And again, not to say all that was necessarily bad before. And again, he just kind of beaten the sound to death. Here, he's still doing kind of the pitch shifting stuff, but he's kind of scaled it back. And he only brings it forward. He doesn't use it as liberally as he did before. He only brings it forward to really enhance, again, that bleak atmosphere. Something like Skyless, Skyless Moon. That's probably the one that stood out to me the most. I really, really love that track. Um, I'm not going to sit here and say it's a perfect record. I think there's quite a bit of filler. All Your Yes Years, if I remember correctly, that was that was really boring uh choo choo was a pointless song i hated it and it stuck out like a sore thumb on that whole album but yeah i and what was it like there's like a seven minute long closer to this or something that was a little yeah little i mean that's really though. two songs but but at the very yeah it was weird yeah because it kind of like went into just a completely different song at the end but it at least the first half had a nice build to it so i wasn't like super against it honestly again i found myself being really interested by this one and i think i think we had finally fully reached the maturity that i i had been talking about i think there was still some of that immaturity left left over on this old dog he finally made this transition he finally sounded like he evolved musically he sounded like he, he evolved you know in you know, maturity wise and in the thing I, and i know how you might be thinking well how he's like he's less sparse this album's a little more minimalist than on his previous records how could he evolve well Sometimes, and I always say this, less is more. You listen to Nick Drake's, um, you know, Pink Moon. That is one of the most sparse records you ever hear and is one of the most emotionally powerful albums you ever hear. And I think Mac DeMarco choosing to scale back really let that, that emotions scale out. I think he was able to do what he wanted to do on, on this old dog much more effectively on this one. So, yeah, honestly, I'm much more interested to revisit, especially after you played played Nobody, Ben. I'm much more interested in revisiting this one after we revisit recording than Salad Days, or maybe even two. Honestly, I, I personally, I really enjoyed this. Again, it should have been trimmed down a bit because there was some filler, but yeah, I mean, I mean, I I came away really enjoying this one. That is insane. I That's think amazing. I, my prediction was that you were going to despise this record. <laughs> I could never imagine that you would come out liking it. And I don't yeah. want to scare away um, listeners from all this debate that we're having surrounding this record, because there are some songs that stand out as full, not really stripped back, like we're talking about. And one of those examples would be On the Square. And this was the second teaser track that came out. And I found myself much more gravitating to this song than over Nobody. Um, just because it's a great piano ballad. So I, I'd like for Ben to play that one real quick. Before I wanna and then after I wanna ask the question of what do we all think Mac's gonna do next? Huh? So take some time to think about that. Baby, are you satisfied? 
you know, in listening to that and just sort of the way the bass is played and, and stuff like that, I realized what this album reminds me of. And it's another recent thing. Um, it would be uh, Iggy Pop's most recent album. Mm. This I is, love, I, see, I love that record, but I don't like this one. Here comes the cowboy and what what is that new Iggy? Uh, is that called Free? I think it's called Free. free. Yeah, um, those, pretentious. those two have have the same kind of sparsity to them. And actually, um, the song Sonali on that Iggy Pop album, there's a music video for it, and it was directed by Mac DeMarco. Oh, uh-huh. it has weird masks. In we're, it. we're we're just coming up with Mac DeMarco conspiracy theories off in this business <laughs> right now. We can well, connecting the dots. Well, now I got to now we're in present day. Have you got have, Melissa? Have you been watching his like live streams on uh, YouTube? Like he's live streaming himself playing like new tracks, you know, for quarantine. No, I actually have not seen that. I've been trying to stay away from all these artists, like going and trying to keep people amused during quarantine, just because it feels like. Not that I think Mac DeMarco is trying to do this, but it feels pretentious to me that they're like, oh, like, let me sit you here and amuse you. And like Alicia Keys will like play piano and sing. I'm like, I don't need to see that. Like, I don't care. I have my own life there. But anyways, um, to answer your question about Mac's future, I feel like he's made it pretty clear at this point in, career, in his career that he's trying to stay out of the spotlight and he doesn't really want the spotlight. All eyes were on him when he was about to release Here Comes the Cowboy, and he disappointed a lot of people. Whether or not it was intentionally, um, as Ben thought, he he did. Um, And so I think he's going to continue down this path of, like, minimalism and kind of doing his own thing just to, like, please himself. Like, I don't think he's trying to please anyone, which, on the one hand, I I can respect, and I agree that he's shown a lot of maturity but i think he's going to keep on making music for himself and i don't think that's gonna please listeners yeah i mean go next yeah sure i'd I'd say i agree with that i don't really see him ever trying to make stuff that that people want to hear again i don't think he's going to make two two or salad days two um especially not now but i'm not really sure like I, I would say if I had to make a prediction for next album, I'd say it's going to sound like this probably like here comes the cowboy um, because I don't see anything crazy happening, but then, I mean, there's stuff he's done recently. Uh, there's a song that I'm probably going to play out with called killer on the loose by the band red mass and Mac DeMarco's featured on that. And that's like a punk song um, or he did. I don't, I don't know if it was last year or the year before, but he put together a little, group called Met Gala and they put out a, a two song single that is like weird. It, it resides in like a hip hop R and B sort of area. There's auto tune all over it. It's really dumb, but I like it a lot. So he could surprise us and go anywhere if I had to guess. And from listening to uh, you mentioned Cam Tony, uh, Michael, mm-hmm. which is his secret now, not so secret um, live stream channel where he's been live streaming recording sessions for, a few years now um it, it sounds like whatever he's working on next if he's currently working on it is going to sound like this so yeah. one thing i want to add quickly is i could see mac demarco really easily moving more into producing music rather than making it um mac reminds me a lot of tyler the creator as a musician and personality wise 
And you'll always see Tyler, the creator, releasing these little like blips of music on YouTube every now and then where they're less of like rap and more like production based, like more just him trying to like test his hand in producing music. Mm -hmm. And I could see Mac trying to like move into producing just like maybe having a hand in like hip like rap maybe i don't know like just playing his hand and well, like producing stuff kind of like how kevin parker from tame impala does he did um work on i think he has two songs that he did for logic's i don't know if that was logic's most recent or second most recent he has two songs on supermarket uh hmm. the logic album he's been yeah i mean he's been a pretty consistent collaborator recently and and as far as here comes the cowboy that that feels a little bit like a todd rundgren album to me like it feels like an album by someone who is becoming expert in recording and producing so i can hear that yeah ben you're precursing my prediction which is like i can definitely see a lot more collaboration coming i remember a few years back there was supposed to be a mac demarco tyler the creator collaboration album and i was like so on that oh, yeah i was mm-hmm. ready for it but uh yeah, I can definitely see some um, his next record being super collaborative, probably s- features sprinkled in of hip-hop artists, maybe some um, other lo-fi kind of indie artists sprinkled in there. Maybe he'll call back to the old days. I really don't know what's going to happen next, and I don't think right. anybody can predict it. Um, because, you know, when you're paying attention to those live streams, I mean, uh, at the end of the day, those are pretty much demos so you can't make that prediction right um but collaborations i mean that's that is the natural next step in this guy's career is to bring in some more talent have him be inspired by this talent that's maybe kind of out there for his usual soundscape and you know get inspired off that and and hopefully create something really memorable yeah well, um, as someone who has certainly been paying attention to him um, at all until up until like this past week, I can't really predict where he's going to go. All I can say is where I want him to go. And maybe it's just to kind of piss you guys off. Fuck it. I want him to keep going in this direction. I want to keep going further down the direction that he's already gone. Because, I, again, I really liked it. I liked this bleaker atmosphere. And again, I really liked his use of pitch. of his pitch shifts on here. I think it really created a really really demented kind of sound. I want him to explore that further. I want him to go be go more sparse. And hell, maybe just to make you really angry, Michael. You know what I'd be really interested in hearing from from him? An all acoustic all acoustic guitar record where he where he uses where he does his pitch shifts with a slide. You know, <laughs> oh, like, a little I would really I'd get I'd really especially if he made it shorter than this one, because honestly, like sometimes listening to his thirty minute albums, it grew a little long for me at times because he because he especially salad dates even it's like a healthy 34 it, even even that to me though was like a little it was dragging by the end like four to six minutes was a little too long again for, for this previous record i really like to hear something like that i want him to go full sparse minimalist i there's something like john frusante's like mid-90s you know solo records or yeah. something i gave those or a- make his own pink moon or something like that something like that or just really go maybe like the kind of demented, uh, you know, Elliot Smith or something. I really like to hear that. Um, that's what I want. Whether he's going to do that or not, I don't know. But again, just to go back and one more thing, Ben, it's, it's interesting that you, you've said this album is kind of him flipping off the bird and telling everyone to go away. Well, 
at least for me, he's actually drawing me in with this stuff. So <laughs> I'll be there if, if he can just go in this direction. And I'll, this Maybe he'll fun. develop a new fan base, Hopefully. which would be totally welcome. It'll it'll just be a league of people like Andrew, like just, a oh my god, he'll bring a in. <laughs> oh, yeah, or 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 he or he just go bounce off another direction and can just make a new minor threat album or something, and then I'll be there probably for that. Yeah. So yeah. they have salad uh, days, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I I, oh, I wasn't even going for that, but you're right. You're right. That, so it, that, that will be your salad days too, but except the minor threat sequel instead of a back to market sequel. Yeah. So that concludes the discography run. Now, if there's any final comments um, on where a listener should start from Mac to Marco, um, mm. or just general impressions, anything else we'd like to add. Um, let's start with Melissa because she's the guest. Where should mm. someone dive into Mac to Marco, in your opinion? Yeah, I would definitely say two is the album to go. Um, maybe even the two demos, honestly. I, I just love the demo album so much. Um, so when you go to the two album, Dreamin' is one of my favorite songs. And then he also puts Dreamin' Fast and Dreamin' Slow on the accompanying uh, solo, or um, not solo, um, um, demo album. And I love that. And so I would recommend listening through the two album and then going through the demos just to hear that like raw sound of his. But I would never recommend starting with any of his last three albums. Mm-hmm. And that is all I have to say. Okay. Yeah, I would, I would pretty much agree with that. Um, I would say give this old dog a try. Those acoustic stuff, really catchy stuff. Um, I think those are the songs that are going to stick with you on a, on a rainy day like a bad day. Those are the songs that you're going to want to turn to when you're not really feeling in the dancing mood that two provides. That would be my recommendation. And I, um, I'll personally say that I think we have some pretty cultured people here. So I, I, I usually go through discographies chronologically. Um, so rock and roll nightclub was the first one I heard and that was enough to get me into him. And I think that's a really interesting sounding record. So if you're feeling adventurous, go, listen to that weirdness it's not that long it's worth checking out that's one of my favorites for sure and uh for me as someone again who's new to this um if you're looking for an interesting listening experience i would definitely start off with the debut rock and roll nightclub i think that's a really good one again i just really like even though apparently it wasn't even really him singing it it was just kind of vocal effects i really liked how the vocal side of that i think it was really unique and interesting so that and then maybe the last one because i at least I really enjoyed it. Um, if you want something more encapsulating, I would start off with two. Um, mm-hmm. But because again, I think at least for me, Salad Days did drag. It did blend together. I think there was at least enough variety on two and that wasn't much of an issue. So mm-hmm. um, that's my recommendation. I, I would, I mean, because it's really the first two and the last one are the ones I, the one are the ones I'm really going to want to revisit after this. So. Great. That's just my recommendations. Awesome. Cool. And well, also, that, Ben, hold on, Ben, real quick. This is a side note. Is that American Pie on your shelf in the background? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, yes. cool. Now, I I just spotted that. I, you know, I'm going to say, I actually, because I actually do like some of his, I actually do like a lot of his stuff. So I, I was just curious. If I yeah. can see that. I think Dom McLean is underrated. 
Agreed. Um, even if Aaron from Pied's ever played. I said that just to kind of piss Michael off. And on that note, I think it's time for recommendations. Yes, sir. Yes, you got it. it. We're going to shorten it up this time around just to give you a quick elevator pitch of each of the songs. And we always let the guests go first, Melissa. So um, you can go ahead and give your recommendation and we'll keep it, try to keep it like under a minute. All right. I'll I'll keep it quick. Um, I meant to say I'll keep it short and quick. Okay. So I would like to recommend a song called Slap by the band Fourth Wanderers which I got into uh, probably like sophomore year of college. So two, three years ago. Um, and yeah, I really like them. Um, they're based out of New Jersey. They're all around like probably a couple years older than us. They probably just got out of college. Um, and the, the vocalist, her name is Ava Trilling. She is like one of the most gorgeous vocalists I've ever heard. Um, usually when it comes to indirect music, I love like bad singers. Like I just think that makes us, the song sounds so much better but this is the one instance where um her, her voice is really beautiful and i respect that and i like it so let's give it a listen Agreed. That was very good. Check them out. Um, okay, so we'll back on this. So I got into this band like three weeks ago. So not <laughs> not quite as long of a love affair as Melissa, but um, I, I have to give a shout out to my girlfriend who actually recommended this for me. I was just kind of bored one night and I was like, hey, give me something to listen to. And she threw this at me. Um, it's an album called Pressure by a, an artist called Kitten Forever. While the band name is very cringy. Um, it's actually a really interesting band. So when I was first listening to this, I was like, okay, this is cool. This is on punk music. And then I legit thought there was something wrong with my speakers. I'm like, there's something missing here. I'm not quite hearing something. And then I was turning it up. I was like, what's going on? It's like, where's the guitar? <laughs> I was so confused. And then I do some research and lo and behold, it's, a, uh, it's an all girl trio and uh, it's just bass and drums and, and, and vocals. There's no guitar, which is pretty interesting for punk music. I mean, normally that's just like your bread and butter. You're, you're playing your power chords on, on, on guitar. So um, it, it is a really interesting sound. Um, and it's not something like Royal Blood. I know, Michael, you, you said you, you told me you like Royal Blood. Was, I do like right? Royal Blood. I so, do too. And, 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 yeah, I think Royal Blood's really interesting because again, it's just it's just, it's a rock and roll duo. It's just a drummer and a guy who plays bass. But he plays the way he plays bass and the way he tunes it and everything. It hardly sounds like a bass. It sounds like a very it sounds like a full guitar sound. It's very right. heavy, very loud. Kind of like 
it's it's kind of the case here, but not quite. It's still very punchy, still very loud, but doesn't have that full, you know, surround set, like surround like of like um like a guitar does. And I think it's actually really interesting. I think they make it work really well because everything's still catchy. It, it it's still punchy, but they're able to do it in, as they put it, a minimalist punk style. It's kind of the way to describe it. And I think that's the best way to describe it. So um, here's a, here's probably my favorite song from that record. It's called Little Beast. And hopefully when, when Ben plays it, you can kind of understand what I'm talking about. <laughs> Andrew, that uh, almost sounds like the band Cherry Glazer. I don't know if any of you guys no. heard of them, but it sounds like their their early stuff, like the the whininess of, and that's not in like a negative way, but like the the vocalist, like the sound of her voice sounds like a lot similar as the vocalist of Cherry Glazer. So interesting. So I like I like some of the stuff from the from their last album, so I guess I'll have to explore that further back in the catalog. So yeah, their earlier Thanks, stuff Bray. is a lot like punkier, or punkier, yeah. so, so it's really good. Um, Thank you. And thank you, Bree, for showing me it. Uh, I think we can move on to uh, whoever's going next. Yeah. you mind if I hit this one, Ben? Bring it. All right. Um, I discovered this band a little while ago called The Clientele, and I haven't really done my research to like kind of pitch this band to you, but I got to say you have to listen to Suburban Light. This album is wonderfully dark, um, wonderfully minimalist, and soul-crushing. Um, when I first listened to it, um, I'm hearing influences of like Galaxy 500 for sure. And um, a little bit of Velvet Underground, maybe like I, I heard, I, I was just reading their Spotify summary because that's where I'm at in researching. And they're also inspired by television, which I know Ben is into. Oh, yeah. So, uh, yeah, that's my just uh, elevator pitch. Um, so go ahead and give that a play.
song was called From a Window Off of Suburban Light. I just looked up that album and I already had saved those songs, We Could Walk Together. I don't know if you know that one. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good, uh, good, that was a good song that you just played. Cool. Yeah, that was right up my alley. Yeah. Interesting. I looked it up and I'd saved uh, Joseph Cornell from that album. So I thought the the cover looked familiar. Okay. I have a, a, a star-studded pitch for you all. So this is the song Lazy Nina by Greg Fillen Gaines from his 1984 album Pulse. On the cover, he is holding a keytar. Um, this, <laughs> this guy has played with Stevie Wonder, Eric Clapton, uh, David Gilmore, Toto. He was... Uh, an official member of Toto. Uh, he's played oh. live with Paul McCartney. He's recorded with Elvis Costello, um, uh, Willie Nelson, Leonard Cohen. This guy's played with everyone from all over the genres. This song was recommended by Mac DeMarco in some interview at some point. Um, but I only found that out like last week. I've known this song for about a year. It was one of those Spotify recommendations that you get. And this one was spot on. Uh, super duper catchy. Listen to it. This guy's super talented. In my life, I have been all kinds of places. I have lived for the action and the thrill. Yes, I've seen a thousand children sing a sunset in Japan. When I close my eyes, I see them still. But the road seems to lose its fascination. And I find there's a picture in my mind Of a room with windows on the sea She's waiting there for me I drop out of space and time Back in the maze with Lazy Nina Walking the dog and watching Soul Train Reading the paper, going to movies And at night Funky as hell. I like it. That's cool. I, I could actually see that kind of inspiring some of Back to Markers, more synthy stuff. Just, yeah, less funk with it. Yeah. All right. And with that, the recommendation portion is over, and therefore the episode is over. I want to thank Melissa Frick for being on this episode. Uh, I don't think that we could have gotten a better Mac DeMarco expert. <laughs> I don't know about that, but thanks guys for inviting me on. I love to listen to Mac DeMarco and talk about it amongst friends. So awesome. fun stuff. You want to plug any social media or anything like that? Yeah. Follow me on Twitter. It's at Frick Mel. My last name is F-R-I-C-K-M-E-O. Mm. Um, or friend me on Facebook. That's cool. That's all I got. <laughs> cool. Well, that ends the episode. So I think without further ado. Um, well, do we want to plug in next week's next episode as well? Go for it, dude. That's your episode. Yeah. So um, I wanted to do this episode for a while now. Um, I, I've always, I've always, I've wanted to do an episode where we kind of tackle, I guess you could say, one hit wonder band, um, kind of that's underrated and kind of explore their discography. Um, although I've, upon doing some research. I don't know if this band's necessarily a one wonder. I think they actually have singles to chart higher than the one song they're known for. But that being said, they're really only known for one song by casual fans of music or even people who aren't really in the know with their genre. And that band is the one and only the living color. Um, I, 
I'm aware of like the first half of their career and the second half I jump off a bit because I kind of got scared from a, a song of theirs from that period of time a long time ago. So I haven't really been really wanted to explore, but I really want to now because we're going to have a special guest back on. Uh, we just had him on for Faith No More, but we'll have him on again because he's also a big fan of this band, Ben Solis. Or he'll be on next week. And um, yeah, I think it'll be a really fun episode and I'm looking forward to it. So um, yeah, I think that'll be next episode. Hopefully we can uh, make it work because it's never a guarantee in these times. Now is it. All right. And without further ado. Good night, Detroit. Detroit. <laughs> you never time that. <laughs> it's impossible now. <laughs> that was so funny. Actually, this is cool. You should be doing this for the rest of his career.